Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If you've been listening to this show for a long time, we are now up to episode 390. We are closing in on that elusive number 400. I read an article recently that most podcasts go 7 to 11 episodes before they have pod fade. And I don't even remember episodes 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11. It seems like ages ago. It's been uh, four years that I've been working on this, and we have interviewed some really amazing people who are doing really cool things in the world of entrepreneurship, and today is no different. Today, I have the CEO of Firehook Bakery with us on the show. His name is Pierre Abu Chakra, and he's had a really eclectic life. In, in reading his bio, and we got to chat on the phone the other day when we set up this interview, uh, he was born in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, but at the age of seven, he moved to Greece, where he grew up. And then as a teenager, he migrated with his family to the United States and became a U.S. citizen. He went on to Georgetown University School of Business, and he majored in finance, and he went into the banking world. And through being in banking, he ended up uh, being involved with, the, uh, with this uh, Firehook Bakery. And over time, and we'll talk a little bit about how this happened, he left banking and became the CEO of Firehook Bakery and has never looked back. He's been with them since 1992, and uh, he has a really good story. But in addition to his story, he's got some really good advice for people who want to be entrepreneurs. And so I'm really looking forward to talking to him. So, Pierre, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, Tom, thank you so much, and uh, congrats on 390. Yeah, no, it's a it's a big number. When everybody says these, you know, most people walk away from their show pretty quick. I've I've kept with it, and only now is the show really starting to take off. So I'm learning one thing, and that is stick toitiveness has uh, a big advantage because too many people walk away too early. So I gave a brief sort of overview of, of of who you are, but why don't you tell us what is Firehook Bakery and what are your products? I know you have physical stores, but you also have nat- national distribution of crackers and other products. Tell us, who is Firehook and, and how did you get there? So Firehook is basically started as a sourdough bread company. We, uh, with three partners, I uh, helped found the company um, 26 years ago. Uh, we were uh, basically looking to open a neighborhood bakery and uh, very happy to have done that. Um, we are today, um, after 26 years, have gone through ups and downs, but we've got eight uh, neighborhood bakeries um, here in the Washington, D.C. area, as well as six years ago, we started distributing product um, crackers and cookies outside of our area. And we've been very lucky um, that people like our product and um, it is uh, doing well. So it's really interesting to me because you were in the you know uh, in the banking side of the world. How did you end up starting a, a sourdough bakery? How did that How did that come about? Were you still working in finance at the time? What What was sort of the path that led to the launching of this with your with your co founders? Well, it was purely by accident, but I think it was meant to be. Um, I um, growing up and moving around so much. Um, and having, having to move around, um, I kind of 
always longed to be an entrepreneur or, or be independent. Um, I um, came across, I was working through, you know, I, when I got to the States, I went to school and studied finance and um, got into banking out of finance. It's a world I knew. My father worked in banking. Um, growing up, I watched him um, basically go through that world. Um, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And um, it was a, a great uh, learning experience for me. It gave me a lot of discipline, but I watched myself um, meet these great business people uh, as they're telling me about their business, looking for loans, and um, found myself always wanting to be on the other side. So um, four years after um, I graduated, having worked in a bank for four years, I decided to leave the bank and um, get into something completely different. Um, that's when I met two people that wanted to start a bakery. And I said, you know what, let me try it. And let me see if I can be your business partner. So I took the N out of the word banker and became, uh, got into the baking business instead. <laughs> From banker to baker. Uh, but, yeah. but you didn't have any baking experience. What, you know, as it started off, were you more of the, the silent partner, the person who understood the money? And then how did you transition into sort of leading the shop? I was. I was supposed to be kind of the business partner, the silent partner. Um, I um, uh, transitioned also by accident. I was not su supposed to be an active partner. But what was happening, unfortunately, the business, uh, the first year and a half, uh, went through the typical growing pains of any new... Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If you've been listening to this show for a long time, we are now up to episode 390. We are closing in on that elusive number 400. I read an article recently that most podcasts go 7 to 11 episodes before they have pod fade. And I don't even remember episodes 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11. It seems like ages ago. It's been uh, four years that I've been working on this, and we have interviewed some really amazing people who are doing really cool things in the world of entrepreneurship, and today is no different. Today, I have the CEO of Firehook Bakery with us on the show. His name is Pierre Abu Chakra, and he's had a really eclectic life. In, in reading his bio, and we got to chat on the phone the other day when we set up this interview, uh, he was born in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, but at the age of seven, he moved to Greece, where he grew up. And then as a teenager, he migrated with his family to the United States and became a U.S. citizen. He went on to Georgetown University School of Business, and he majored in finance, and he went into the banking world. And through being in banking, he ended up uh, being involved with, the, uh, with this uh, Firehook Bakery. And over time, and we'll talk a little bit about how this happened, he left banking and became the CEO of Firehook Bakery and has never looked back. He's been with them since 1992, and uh, he has a really good story. But in addition to his story, 
He's got some really good advice for people who want to be entrepreneurs. And so I'm really looking forward to talking to him. So Pierre, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, Tom, thank you so much and uh, congrats on 390. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big number when everybody says these, you know, most people walk away from their show pretty quick. I've, I've kept with it and only now is the show really starting to take off. So I'm learning one thing and that is stick-to-itiveness has uh, a big advantage because too many people walk away too early. So I gave a brief sort of overview of, of, of who you are, but why don't you tell us what is Firehook Bakery and what are your products? I know you have physical stores, but you also have nat- national distribution of crackers and other products. Tell us, who is Firehook and, and how did you get there? So Firehook is basically started as a sourdough bread company. We, uh, with three partners, I uh, helped found the company um, 26 years ago. Uh, we were uh, basically looking to open a neighborhood bakery and uh, very happy to have done that. Um, we are today, um, after 26 years, have gone through ups and downs, but we've got eight uh, neighborhood bakeries um, here in the Washington, D.C. area, as well as six years ago, we started distributing product um, crackers and cookies outside of our area. And we've been very lucky um, that people like our product and um, it is uh, doing well. So it's really interesting to me because you were in the, you know, uh, in the banking side of the world. How did you end up starting a, a sourdough bakery? How did that, how did that come about? Were you still working in finance at the time? What, what was sort of the path that led to the launching of this with your, with your co-founders? Well, it was purely by accident, but I think it was meant to be. Um, I, um, growing up and moving around so much, um, and having having to move around, um, I kind of always longed to be an entrepreneur or or be independent. Um, I um, came across. I was working through. You know, I, when I got to the states, I went to school and studied finance, and um, got into banking out of finance. It's a world I knew. My father worked in banking. Um, growing up, I watched him um, basically go through that world. Um, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And um, it was a, a great uh, learning experience for me. It gave me a lot of discipline, but I watched myself um, meet these great business people uh, as they're telling me about their business, looking for loans. And um, found myself always wanting to be on the other side. So um, four years after um, I graduated, having worked in a bank for four years, I decided to leave the bank and um, get into something completely different. Um, That's when I met two people that wanted to start a bakery. And I said, you know what, let me try it. And let me see if I can be your business partner. So I took the N out of the word banker and became, uh, got into the baking business instead. <laughs> From banker to baker. Uh, but, yeah. but you didn't have any baking experience. What, you know, as it started off, were you more of the, the silent partner, the person who understood the money? And then how did you transition into sort of leading the shop? I was, I was supposed to be kind of the business partner, the silent partner. Um, I, um, uh, transitioned also by accident. I was not the, supposed to be an active partner, but what was happening, unfortunately, the business 
the first year and a half uh, went through the typical growing pains of any new business. And in addition to that, unfortunately, had a manager, a bookkeeper uh, manager that was um, not giving us the right uh, data and was not paying taxes. So I got a nice letter from the IRS about a year and a half into the business saying, uh, the company owes this much money, and since you are the chairman of the company, uh, technically of the corporation, uh, you owe us that much money. And I said, wait, wait, what is that? What does workers' comp mean? What does you know withholding taxes mean? What? I didn't sign up for that. So, um, you know, after um, a quick, uh, you know, drill with our attorney explaining to me what I'm in for, um, you know, I quickly realized that, um, uh, you know, I was, I needed to do something. So, so it's interesting to me because I've interviewed a lot of people on the show. I've done well over 350 episodes with entrepreneurs. Some of those 400 episodes are just me talking, but most of them are interviews like this. And I've interviewed several people who are immigrants to the United States. Do you think being an immigrant bodes itself well to entrepreneurship? And if so, why? Because there seems to be a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, proportionately, that immigrants tend to be make up a lot of entrepreneurship. It does. And, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot. Um, I, I think having been displaced and having uh, been forced to, um, to move, First from Lebanon, and I watched my parents at the time were young, and they had a family of you know young boys, um, and they basically had to leave you know their comfort, their home, and um, then you know we were temporarily quote unquote in Greece, but I ended up being there for ten years. My parents ended up being there for twenty, um, and um, that displacement, I think. Uh, pushed me to want to do something where I'm independent and I have some level of a control over my destiny. Um, and um, that's probably what drove and always wanted me to be in business for myself. So in 1992, you walked away from sort of that traditional banking job and decided to, to go down this path. You probably thought, because you were more the silent partner, that this was going to be like your first entree of many into entrepreneurship. And yet, here you are all these years later, still as the CEO of a growing company that has now gone into consumer packaged goods and is growing with more locations in the D.C. area and beyond. So was it a surprise to you looking back now that you've stayed this whole time? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I go back and think in terms of what got me to stay with the business. And I, at the end of the day, it's probably the people um, that have been involved in the business from day one uh, and over time, many others um, that kept me to, you know, being committed to continue to grow and make this business successful um, mostly, frankly, to support them. And, and I saw the commitment that they brought to the business. At some point, uh, kind of a bulb, light bulb went on. And um, I realized, wait, this is not about me. This is not about some, you know, spreadsheet that's in front of me. Um, it's really all about the people around me and the people that have gotten the business to wherever it is. So um, that's when... I started to realize that this is more than just what we created. And it's, um, you know, a business that, um, 
very, very basic. You know, there's a lot of hard work and, and sweat that goes into um, the bakery business, and especially an artisan bakery business like us. Um, and it's been, um, it, it gets you, if you care about people and if you um, put a lot of value on that, um, it can drive you. And that's what happened to me. Well, it's interesting because in talking to so many people about entrepreneurship, one of the big things that comes up is people, right? So uh, in some of the work I do, because I go in and I speak to groups and I, I talk at company meetings or association meetings, and I talk about this thing I call the paradox of potential. So there's this gap between potential and results, and yet everybody gets really excited if they have potential. However, when I, when I break it down and I talk to people and they tell me why they think you know people get across, it's all really about three buckets. It's, it's your passion it's your plan, and then it's your people. And the one that comes up the most from everybody is really it's all about the people. It's about your employees. It's about the people who are your vendors. It's about your customers. It's about your community. And I noticed in, in doing some research on you that you have been involved as a board member of a lot of different civic organizations, and you've also been involved with Young Presidents Organization and Entrepreneurs Organization in the D.C. area. How do you think being involved in your community and participating in groups like EO and YPO, how does that help an entrepreneur? I think it, it helps um, when I first got involved in, in EO and YPO, first in EO, um, I would go into a room and I thought I was the only one dealing with payroll problems or why am I doing this and or, you know, what should I do with distribution or how am I going to get my next sale or all of that and um, the anxiety around of, of that. and. I realized I would meet people and as you get to know them and you sit down in, in forums and discuss things in a confidential way that, um, you know, I'm not the only one. Uh, a lot of people go through it. And in fact, I've been doing some, some things right. And I'm also doing some things wrong, but I'm learning. So I started learning from people and sharing experience. And it's been a fascinating um really right to be involved in both EO and then later YPO um, to really meet these amazing people that all do different things. But at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, the successful ones care about what they're doing, are passionate about what they're doing and um, care about the people that they're working with. So now that you've been doing this for so long, what is it that you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Number one is the number one is the independence and freedom. And obviously that's what got me into it. And on a, on a great day driving home, I, you know, drive home and say, okay, this is great. Um, the more mature our business has gotten and the more mature I've gotten over as our businesses become stable, what I really, really enjoyed and brought me personal gratification is watching our employees move up in the company, pick up new skills, and Im improve their life for themselves and their families, and um, seeing what small role I can play or the company can play in that, that has really brought me the, 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 the best thing that I truly enjoy going home and saying, you know, um, so-and-so that this today were able to do that for their family or they're making all the right decisions because of the opportunity and the hard work that they've been, uh, that they've been doing. So when you go home, you have, you have three children. Are they entrepreneurial or are they going to go a more traditional path? What do you think? 
I do. You know, I'm lucky in that my, my three boys uh, got their smarts from uh, their mother. Uh, and they're a lot uh, smarter than, than, uh, than, than me. And um, they have each kind of watched and uh, quote unquote grew up in the business. Um, we're lucky in that they understand, um, you know, what it takes and the sacrifices we've had to go through to, to build the business, but also the hard work that goes into uh, building the business, not just from me, but all the dedicated employees of the company. And um, I'm lucky that I've been able to share with that, uh, that with them and that they've been exposed to that. Um, you know, a couple of them would love, you know, they're very curious about where the company is going and what we're doing. Um, but there's so much that they can do, and I'm hoping that they can go out and uh, build their future. Um, and if it's at some point in the future, it, it involves being an entrepreneur, that's a great life as well. So what advice do you have for somebody who's listening? Or maybe what advice do you have for your own kids who wants to become an entrepreneur? But, you know, for a lot of people, if they don't grow up with a dad or a mom who's running a business, they have no idea. So what advice would you give somebody who says, I, I want to go down this path? Um, you know, the, the biggest advice is really dig deep and be honest with yourself about why you're doing it. Um, if it's just something, it's an idea but you, you know, it takes a lot. Uh, you've got to, you know, entrepreneurs have to be ready or, or people that want to be on their own as an entrepreneur um, better be ready to make the financial and personal sacrifices um, and put other people first because um, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about you. It's about uh, the people around you and, and you're going to go through a lot of making a lot of typically financial and personal sacrifices to make that happen. So you've been doing this for more than 25 years. And so you've seen a lot, not only in your own business, but also because you've been involved in, in your community and with the entrepreneur organization and with YPO. I talk a lot about this gap that exists between potential and results. And we see so many entrepreneurs start a business and they're so excited about that opportunity, about that potential that they have. And yet some people go farther across that gap. My argument is nobody ever reaches their full potential because as you go across the gap, you're going to learn new things. You're going to you know, take a new course. You'll listen to a new podcast that'll inspire you. Whatever it is, your potential will continue to shift outward. However, some people go way across the gap and some people fall in really quickly. What do you think the delta is for the people who really find success? Why do some people find it, I don't know, easier or faster or at all compared to some? Um, I think uh, luck has a lot to do with it, but frankly, um, it's hard work, perseverance, being open and listening to people around you and asking for help. Um, ask for help and be open to uh, receiving that information and not be afraid to uh, make changes to what you're doing based on the information you're hearing. Uh, a lot of times, you know, and you know, I go back to the last 26 years and I've made a lot of mistakes and probably I could have probably avoided 99% of them had I done more listening rather than talking and kind of getting out of the building. Uh, you know, I like that. I heard that a few years ago and just basically get out of the building, listen to what people are saying, listen to what the market is telling you and make changes. So I've got some more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. 
So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can just focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Pierre. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What would you say the coolest thing you're doing with your company is right now? Um, coolest thing is, um, you know, we're, we decided, uh, you know, we're a bakery, uh, make, we make bakery products. When we got into the distribution, we realized that a lot of companies in distribution in the, in the consumer packaged industry, um, stop making their own product and go to larger factories and, um, the term co-packing is very, very popular and it's done a lot where they, in order to scale production, they get, they find um, companies to produce their product. And it works for a lot of companies. Um, in our case, we thought that, hey, we wanted to maintain and, and uh, protect our trade secrets, protect the processes that we developed to make our product and uh, decided to stay and produce everything ourselves. And that's been very challenging because we've been growing at 30 and 50% every year and uh, scaling that production um, has been the biggest challenge that has kept me up. But the cool thing is that we made it happen. And um, it is, I get a kick out of walking through our facility every day and seeing how, you know, five years ago it would take us, you know, two, three days to produce, you know, three, four pallets of product. And now we're producing, you know, multiples of, of that amount and, you know, one shift. So it's, uh, it's really cool to have seen the transformation of the people here um, and seeing how we're able to do that and compete with the national brands and seeing our name on the nationally kind of syndicated data reports um, showing how we're, you know, competing in the top five and 10 national brands in our category. So that's interesting. I've been interviewing a lot of people in, in sort of the food space and the CPG, consumer packaged goods space. And one of the hardest things is finding that person who can produce your product. So you just decided, you know, instead of going through that headache, we're going to do it ourselves. But that probably involved a, a large uh, investment in uh, infrastructure, did it, did it not? It did. It did. And that's where my kind of real estate and finance background and discipline came in, um, uh, you know, was helpful. Um, because of my banking background, um, I, you know, really been very conservative in um, running and making sure our the balance sheet of our company is strong. Um, and because we've been in, in business that long, we've been able to, 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 to maintain a really solid balance sheet. So we find ourselves today with basically um, really little debt and we've been able to fund that growth and um, expand, um, you know, make all these capital improvements um, through internally generated 
cash flow, which is which is great. Um, and I, uh, a lot of companies I see today, um, I think get into trouble when they do that. And it's been, you know, and we've certainly gone through that and um, we, we went through, uh, you know, the ups and downs of that, the first five, 10 years of being in business. And um, I swore that I um, never wanted to, to go through that again. So for the last 15 years, we've been really very disciplined in making sure that uh, we don't, um, you know, run our business based on some projection, but we look at, uh, you know, our current financial statements and seeing what we can afford to do and what we cannot and whatever we couldn't afford to do, we just wait until we can. Um, you know, that's- that, uh, that has, that has helped quite a bit. And that's really interesting because you're a large business compared to me. I'm like a solopreneur, right? I make my living speaking at conferences and doing company training. But one of the pieces of advice that I got was don't invest in expensive videos. Don't invest in expensive websites. uh, Don't hire business coaches and consultants until you've earned the money to be able to pay for those things. And so many of my peers have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get their business to, to look professional. And the business never comes. And so that's, you know, I, I have always been one who it's like, you know, my level in the business has probably always been ahead of what my video or my website looks like just because I never wanted to spend money that I didn't have. And it really does give you a lot of power when things shift or things change when, you know, you've got the money on hand. You can spend it how you want. It does. And it feels, you know, going through it is painful. Um, you know, we could have done a lot more. We could have, it would have probably been easier to have gone out, borrowed or raised money. Um, and many times, you know, I, I look back and say, okay, that was painful that we have to go through that. But today I think we're reaping those rewards because we've gotten, you know, we've developed, uh, you know, a, a company that is competing at a national level is able to have a lot of sales momentum growth, um, is profitable, you know, is uh, independently owned. We don't have any debt. We don't have any outside investors um, that are, you know, forcing us to make decisions that are short term. So um, really lucky that we we're able to do that. And uh, it's painful as you go through it. I'm sure you, it's, it was painful to you as you're going through it to kind of watch your expenses or, or uh, not take on certain things just because, you know, it looked better. So you touched on the fact that your finance background has helped you a lot. So I have no finance background. And again, I'm just a solopreneur, so I don't have the, the economies of scale and the, and the, the, the big issues that a larger company with employees would have. However, how important do you think it is for an entrepreneur, whether they're small like me or whether they're scaling something to be a big company with national distribution to really have their hands around the money? I think it's, uh, I think, yeah, it's the number one thing. It's really very important. And it's, um, you know, hopefully any business has a, a product or service that people are looking for and you need to be able to continue to provide that product or service. And if you don't have a handle on your numbers, um, you won't be able to continue doing that. And I see some really amazing bakers and amazing people in our industry stumble because um, they made um, either signed the wrong lease or made, you know, uh, the wrong long-term you know, 
commitment for certain leases or certain uh, loans and you know you end up it, it catches up with you and um, that's probably the the it go it should go financial and accounting education should go hand in hand with um, any entrepreneur type training uh, that is out there and I would encourage every entrepreneur or would be entrepreneur to um, really take some uh, accounting courses to understand the basics of what a PL looks like and what a balance sheet looks like and how they two you know match and how the two work together. So one other thing in the consumer packaged goods arena, because I talk to a lot of people, uh, I live in Austin, Texas, and Austin has a big CPG community, but a lot of people who uh, attend sort of the meetups and the different things, and I I go to these things looking for cool entrepreneurs that I can interview for the show, uh, one of the things that people struggle with is being able to find distribution. Now, you weren't just somebody with an idea. You had an existing bakery, so that probably helped, but how hard was it to actually figure out how to distribute a product outside of the brick and mortar of your own store? You know, we, we stumbled onto it. We had a, there was a, a, a summer of 2012. There was the fancy food show that was coming into town in DC. And we got a call from a olive oil company. It says, Hey, we're, we're going to the show. Um, and, uh, the food show in your town. And we were told you make great bread. We wanted to buy some bread to dip at the show and our olive oil and sample out, would you be able to deliver some bread to you, to us? And uh, before we know it, four weeks later, we're, you know, we split the booth with that company and uh, said, let's bring our crackers to the booth as well and see if we can sell it to anyone or find someone that wants to buy it outside of our area. And we knew we really didn't have, um, we didn't know anything about the distribution business and uh, people would walk up to the booth and, and talk to us. And I would turn around after they moved away, after they walked away and I would turn to um, the guy that was from the olive oil company that had more experience than me. And I'd say, could you please tell me what they just told me? Because <laughs> half the words they used, I didn't understand. So um, we really stumbled into it. it we had a good product, uh, but we spent the next, two to three years um, on the road, going to food shows, meeting distributors. And it took about two to three years to build that sales momentum. Um, I was lucky that I had um, a young uh, guy who's very positive and um, was really good at he and I kind of visiting distributors, visiting natural food stores and asking and spending a lot of time in the aisles, talking to customers and doing what it takes to kind of um, pioneer new markets. And uh, it was uh, a lot of travel time, but also a lot of time spent, um, you know, talking to people and, and knocking on doors. Um, it helped us. And I think the, the enthusiasm um, of our team um, really helped also attract a lot of attention um, and, you know, get buyers to give us a chance. So that leads me to another question, because this comes up a lot when I ask questions like, well, how, how are you able to pull XYZ off? The entrepreneurs often say serendipity. I got lucky. 
Uh, how, how important do you think a little bit of right place at right time, like in your case, showing up with the olive oil company and then learning about the CPG business because you were surrounded by it, uh, that then sparked you to go down that path. How much of it for an entrepreneur do you think you have to have a little bit of that, uh, you know, that, that little spark of serendipity? I think you, you have to, uh, some, of, some of that is very true. You know, first you have to show up. Uh, but by showing up, I think things happen and you're going to have to go through a little bit more of an effort to make things happen. Give you a funny story. Again, our first show, we're there standing and, you know, it's just by pure coincidence across, you know, our product is, um, we called it the Mediterranean baked crackers. And we had it, you know, our first uh, brand was under that brand and you know our labels had Mediterranean baked crackers our banner had Mediterranean baked crackers and um, we had shown up really quote unquote illegally at that first trade show <laughs> and then sure enough across from us is this you know we had a four we have part of a big of a larger booth so we really had a four foot section and across from us was a 25 foot wide uh, booth for Mediterranean snacks company. Oh, and no. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, what is going on? You know, how could that have happened? But you know what? We were standing there and, um, you know, with our basket of crackers, you know, getting anyone that would listen to us to sample the crackers. And then uh, a group of Costco buyers uh, were across the aisle from us talking to the booth across the aisle to talking the, about the, their product the, the bigger and then company. they didn't yeah. even pay attention to us. They just continued on. So I turned to Joseph who was a uh, young uh, guy that uh, was basically instrumental in building up our sales. And um, I said, Joseph, that was Costco uh, buyers. Three of them just walked past. They were talking to the guys next, you know, across the aisle, but they didn't stop. He says, Oh, this, it turns to me, says, who's Costco? I said, <laughs> it's a big company. It's a big company. Uh, he says, okay, wait. So he takes the basket, walks down the aisle, halfway down the aisle, talks to them, brings them back to our booth. And, uh, you know, we had a nice, fun conversation with them for about 10 minutes. And three months later, we found ourselves, you know, getting a meeting with them at their regional headquarters. Um, <laughs> so ha had we not gone down, you know, the aisle and been able, uh, you know, charismatic enough to bring them back to the booth, we would not have gotten that big break, that first big break that we got in the first year of business. <laughs> that, see, that is a great story. And there are so many stories that entrepreneurs share on this show about that. But like you did say one thing that was really important. Part of it is you got to show up. If you didn't show up in the first place, none of that could have happened. So, you know, I think, too, I think too often we think too much and we got to be a little bit more doers. And uh, I think that that's really good advice. Hey, I love to ask the people who come on this show, who is it in the world of entrepreneurship that you admire? Because Pierre, we could talk about you and about Firehook all day long. But I think great entrepreneurs, especially ones who've been doing it for, you know, two and a half decades and more, I think they're observers. So I love to ask, who do you admire when you look at just the world of entrepreneurs? Who do you say that he or she, they're doing it cool? Well, I've got, I've got two people that I admire and they're on two opposite spectrums. Um, one 
entrepreneur friend of mine that I admire a lot is a solopreneur. His name is Josh Fry. He's one of my early, early EO forum mates. Um, he's your, um, he's basically what I call the epitome of an entrepreneur. He is uh, positive. He's, it's all about the people. Um, but he's really, really, truly an independent entrepreneur who's pivoted many times through his life, but always loves himself being an entrepreneur and gives so much to the entrepreneur community and to um, also to young entrepreneurs that are starting out. And uh, I, um, you know, he runs a, um, his latest business is called the Swag Coach. And um, he's a really, really cool guy. And I uh, enjoy spending time with him and really seeing what he does and, you know, how much he gives back to the EO, to the EO and entrepreneur community. So he sounds and, like, he, know, sound, the, he sounds like somebody that we should interview on cool things entrepreneurs do. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's one of the coolest entrepreneurs I know. And uh, you should definitely, um, definitely, definitely connect with him. Awesome. And then, and then the other one, you said there were two. You know, the other, the other one, uh, you know, I don't know in this uh, whether he would be considered an entrepreneur or not, but I, my idol is Warren Buffett. And oh, the sure. reason um, I really admire him is because of his discipline and very, very basic way of looking at business. Um, and, um, you know, in I reading his books and you know, hearing him talk, um, I always remember a very, very basic premise that, um, you know, I've tried to use in our business as we have choices of how we spend our money is, um, you know, I, I ask myself because that's what he does is if you make that investment or if you spend that, you know, hundred dollars on this chair or, you know, $200 on whatever it is that a company spends money on, um, what is the return of that investment going to be on either increasing sales or to the bottom line? And if it's not going to do any of that, don't spend it on the business. Go out and, you know, spend it on invested somewhere else. And uh, I've, I really admire that and I try to use it as much as possible in our business. I think that I agree. I think that's good advice. It goes back to what I was saying before that, that I try not to spend money on things that I can't afford, which means that I can't buy other things because if I don't have the money, I can't do it anyway. So that's good. That's a good layover on that other piece of advice. So the last yeah. question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think entrepreneurs, I think it's more than just making money. I think we, we all want to leave a mark somehow. So, so what do you or the company do? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, the, the biggest thing is I'm, I'm get involved as much as I can time-wise with community organizations where uh, Firehook is, is involved in or where Firehook has stores. Um, one of the biggest things that I do is I really am there for our employees and their families and whatever they need. Um, and I um, sometimes get involved in the causes that are important to them uh, by giving, you know, time and, and resources to that. And um, we're, fairly, we're fairly close in our business. And um, I've decided that we're lucky enough that we can contribute in one way or another in time and resources. We might as well do it, um, you know, around the people that um, 
you know, are important to us. That's awesome. So if somebody's listening to this and they want to find out more about you, they want to find out more about Firehook Bakery, maybe they live in the greater Virginia slash Washington, D.C. area, or maybe uh, they want to get these crackers and the cookies that you're adding to the to the distribution. How do they find out about you? Well, uh, the easiest way is go to our website, www.firehook.com. Um, and uh, there you'll be able to um, get a link for our, uh, where our crackers are sold. Uh, but also, you, if you're ever in Washington, Washington D.C., Virginia area, uh, and you have a cake emergency, you can get online and um, send me an email. I get copies and all the emails that go to our website, and we will help you in any way you can. <laughs> Uh, any way you need to. So that's um, something I've never thought about before. Are there a lot of cake emergencies? Absolutely. <laughs> and I met this lady from uh, at a cocktail reception for our school about a month ago. And I said, um, hey, um, I know you know you in town. You're at this, uh, your kids are, you know, or you work at this embassy. But if you ever, I can't do anything, you know, I'm not a big shot you know, corporate lawyer or anything like that. But if you ever have a cake emergency, here's my card and um, call me. And sure enough, about a week later on a Friday night, she said, she, I get a call. I don't recognize the number. I said, who's this? So I answer. And she says, uh, Pierre, this is so-and-so. You won't believe this, but I have a cake emergency. <laughs> <laughs> so we were able to get a cake for her um, husband's birthday that she had forgotten to order. So, See, that's great. I, 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 I've learned something new. I did not know that the world was plagued with cake emergencies, but if you live yeah. in Washington, D.C., Firehook is the answer. Firehook Bakery is the answer yeah. to your cake emergencies. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Pierre, thank you so much for agreeing to All be right. a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Any last bit of advice you want to add? Um, you know, I am hoping and uh, looking forward to listening to your 1,000th pod- podcast very <laughs> that's, soon. That, that, that'll come. I think that's about another five years away, six years away, but, but we'll yeah. get there. I, I don't think I'm stopping anytime soon. So, so thank you very much. So thank you for being here, and thank you to everybody who listened. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So if this is the first time you've ever listened, go back and listen. You don't have to listen to all 389 other episodes, but check out a couple. See what you like. If you like the show, go over to iTunes. Leave a review. It makes my whole day better when we get like a really positive review of somebody who says, this is a good show. And then on top of that, if you want to find out anything about anything else about me, if you're involved with an association or your company does... Uh, a sales kickoff meeting or other staff training. You can find out everything you'd want to know about about me as a speaker or as a master of ceremonies at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an episode, with an interview with somebody just as cool as Pierre. I know you're thinking, how will you find anybody cooler than than the guy who can solve cake emergencies? But I will. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there. And have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.